was a man who leads a life of danger To everyone he meets, he stays a stranger With every move he makes, another chance he takes Odds are he won't live to see tomorrow Welcome to Prisoner Worth Watching, where we're looking at this groundbreaking 50-year-old show about paranoia and politics. It's more relevant now than ever. I'm your host, the very Catholic dude who got famous with my first Doctor Who podcast, then came up with an idea that changed podcasting forever. My co-host is Guy, who I hear has all his suits made by Scarlatti. Hello, Guy. Hello, Ron. So how are those suits fitting? Uh, molto bene. <laughs> Great. So now to provide some context for both the series of The Prisoner and for what we'll be watching today, which is a little bit different. Guy, early on when we were planning this podcast, you suggested watching The Prisoner. And I don't know if you knew this at the time, but not unlike Doctor Who, I've been obsessed with The Prisoner for decades and have watched the series many times, as well as documentaries about it and other things that Patrick McGowan has been involved in. In fact, I have imposed the show on anyone in my life who was foolish enough to sit on the couch in front of my TV. Mm -hmm. So your suggestion was uh, right up my alley. What made you suggest it? What's your, what do you know about the show? You know, I, I don't know a lot about it. I know that people whose opinion I respect have recommended it in the past. I've seen it in lists of the best TV shows and so forth. And I think at some time in the past, you might have made some reference to it. I, I can't recall for sure, but I probably I think you might have. So I don't remember exactly what the circumstances were the day that I mentioned it, but it was something that had sounded interesting to me for a while. And maybe I was thinking Britishly, having, you know, begun with the Doctor Who and all that. So, don't know. Well, I'm glad you did because I'm really excited to be doing this series. As we'll talk about in a bit, it's really perfect for our podcast. So on my end, my primary exposure to Patrick McGowan, who is the star of The Prisoner, is The Prisoner itself, of course. Also, his multiple appearances as a murderer on Columbo. And Columbo is another series that I'm obsessed with, and I'm hoping we will cover at some point. And McGowan both acted and directed in some of the best Columbo episodes ever. Hmm. And one thing I want to say right up front, I'm a huge fan of Patrick McGowan's work. But that is separate from my feelings about how he treated people, especially when working on The Prisoner. Sometimes great art is made by people who are not only hard to be around, but who abuse people around them. And I've had personal experience with this in my life. As, hmm. as you know, I worked with one of the most famous assholes in the world <laughs> for, for much of my career. So I simultaneously celebrate the art and condemn the behavior and I also reject the idea that you have to be an asshole to be an artist. It usually helps. <laughs> <laughs> so you're pro-asshole. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm not necessarily pro-asshole, but there does seem to be a correlation. Yeah. <laughs> but there are outliers, of course. So. Mm -hmm. I do think there is a connection to both creating great products and creating something like The Prisoner and being a jerk in the sense that you are not going to take any crap and you're not going to let anyone take you off of your vision. Yeah. Without someone sometimes having that kind of drive, you don't get something like The Prisoner. 
I think there's something to that, that that sort of bullheadedness that you need to create something that's really exactly what you want it to be and just say to hell with the naysayers. It's a handy skill to have if you really want to be the auteur, you know, and not designed by committee, so to speak. I think you are right, but you also have to be doing the right thing. Sometimes it results in one of the most famous flops in history, like Heaven's Gate, for example. <laughs> mm-hmm. So you're rolling the dice when you act that way. Yeah, yeah. Now let's talk about the series of The Prisoner itself. McGowan first got known for the British series Danger Man, which was known as Secret Agent in the U.S. They renamed it for the U.S. And one thing I'll clear up right up front, because there's a lot of confusion about this, the show was not called Secret Agent Man. (laughs) Hmm. There is a song called Secret Agent Man. But that song was also not the theme of the show. That was a song that a songwriter wrote about the show. (laughs) And yet that's what, of course, most people know about it. Yeah. Much more than the actual show itself these days. Well, that show got very popular around the world and it got very popular in the United States. And after having done the show for years, McGowan got tired of doing a cookie cutter spy series and he came up with an idea for what he wanted to do next. And this was a seven or eight episode miniseries about a spy who suddenly retires, then gets kidnapped to a bizarre island where they try to find out what triggered him to retire. Now, he insisted this had nothing to do with Danger Man, that it wasn't the same character or a continuation. And in a way, that's kind of silly. Obviously, this is a continuation of a spy character going to the Prisoner series. However, I think there are two reasons that he denied that. One is simply legal, which is if you were to say that this was the character from Danger Man who went into the prisoner, well, now you have all sorts of rights issues, right? The Mm -hmm. people who created Danger Man and created that character now have to be paid. You don't get paid because you didn't create the character, (laughs) that sort of thing. And then I think there's an artistic reason, which is there were lots of spy shows. And I think it was valid to say, okay, the character in The Prisoner is a general character. It's not this one specific person. Hmm. And so I think both of those are fair. But I suspect it all started with them not wanting to pay royalties. (laughs) Oh, sure. Yeah. Yeah. Just change the names and keep going. Yeah. (laughs) Now, with this miniseries, McGowan wanted to push the boundaries of television and get into sensitive topics about how the world was going. And we're talking Vietnam times and that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. He wanted to make a statement. The network he was working with had no interest in making a statement. They wanted to make a traditional TV show. So McGowan wanted seven or eight episodes that would end after making his point. The network wanted a 24 episode per season show that would go on forever. (laughs) Now, as the first season progressed, McGowan was so difficult to work with that the network got exhausted (laughs) Uh and they finally said, fine, (laughs) we're not going to do an unending TV series. And they eventually compromised on doing one season that would have 18 episodes. Now that means that only seven or eight of those episodes were part of the initial plan. McGowan literally had a weekend working with his writers and stuff to come up with the other 10 episodes. (laughs) This conflict produced a fascinating result. So half the series was carefully plotted out with a specific purpose, and half the series was slapped together over a weekend. (laughs) (laughs) Thus, we have an 18-episode show that's both brilliantly precise and at the same time rather a mess. (laughs) There are great episodes, there are bad episodes, there are episodes that directly contradict each other, and 
this is the really fascinating thing. There is no order for the episodes that makes sense. You cannot put the episodes in an order where the, everything works out. Hmm. On the one hand, you know, that's kind of a tragedy for the show. But on the other hand, it's a glorious mess of a piece of art. And that actually makes it more engaging. And I think it's one of the reasons the series is still relevant and people still think about it because you have to make your own decisions about what the proper order of the episodes is and what the series was about and how it should have progressed. Hmm. With all that, it's perfect fodder for our worth watching podcast because we're all about helping you sort out what's worth watching and what's not. And in a series with good stuff and bad stuff, that's perfect. Yeah. Now, one of the hobbies of prisoner fanatics is trying to come up with the definitive ordering of the episodes since there's no order that completely works. And I'm proposing in this season the worth-watching official prisoner episode order, which is different from any other order that you will find on the internet. Hmm. After a lifetime of watching the show, I believe I know exactly how you should watch it. And, of course, <laughs> your job, Guy, is to confirm or reject <laughs> my hypothesis as you experience the show from scratch, because you haven't seen a single episode. Is that right? That's right. Yep. Now, this episode order is unique because almost everyone who tackles this tries to fit all 18 episodes into it. Only the Worth Watching podcast has the guts to tell you which episode you shouldn't bother watching <laughs> because they either suck or they simply screw up the flow of the series. So that's my proposition is you should take the episodes that make sense together and reject the ones that screw it up. Makes sense. We'll see how it goes. We're not going to lay out what the episode order is up front. We're going to reveal it throughout the season. So just keep listening to this podcast to find out what that order is. <laughs> okay. I think we had discussed possibly having like one little appendix episode that might encompass the episodes that don't fit into your official canon. And I think that might be a good idea because that would give me a chance to disagree with you. No, I totally agree. It might be one or two episodes. We'll see how long it takes us to discuss those. But absolutely, we will talk about the episodes that we've left out of the official order after we've gone through the official order. All right. Good point. Okay, anything else before we move on to what we're talking about today? Um, nothing in particular, though. It did just occur to me this morning that about a decade ago, I worked with a fellow whose name was Dan German, and we called him Danger Man. <laughs> I just thought that was neat. Nice, nice. Okay. So today we're not talking about the prisoner. We like to start a new theme or season by watching something that gives some context. So for Doctor Who, we started with the unaired pilot. And this time we're going to start with what you might consider to be a pilot for the prisoner, which is the first episode of Danger Man. And this show began as a half-hour dramatic spy series, which is kind of weird. You'd never see that today, right? We don't do half-hour dramas. Mm -hmm. And eventually, even that show turned into an hour-long show, but mm -hmm. the one we're watching today is half-hour. This was created at a time when spy shows were exploding, and it was kind of the new format. You know, for decades, Westerns had been the default storytelling mechanism. And around this time, it was switching over to spies and government paranoia, that sort of thing. Now, this premiere episode of Danger Man includes a key element that made the prisoner possible years later. So let's see if Guy can spot it, never having seen an episode of The Prisoner, and we'll reveal the mm. secret at the end of the podcast. 
And now for the first episode of Danger Man slash Secret Agent called A View from the Villa. Every government has its secret service branch. America at CIA, France, Deuxième Bureau, England, MI5. A messy job? Well, that's when they usually call on me or someone like me. Oh, yes. My name is Drake. John Drake. We start out with a dude being punched on a couch. (laughs) And a bad guy who much later will learn his name, Tony, is saying to the guy on the couch, that's enough. I really don't intend on wasting any more time, Delroy. So the guy being punched is Delroy. Tony says he'll settle for half. Now, we don't know half of what, but then Delroy says it's taken him months to get this gold and he's not going to share it with anybody. And the minion smacks him around a few more times. And apparently this minion is really, really strong because after about the third smack, Delroy is dead. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. When you're trying to get information from somebody, you probably don't want to kill them. <laughs> and to make matters worse, a woman gasps from another room, so they didn't know somebody was watching them. Tony goes into the other room, which turns out to be the bedroom. The window is open, so she managed to gasp and get out the window in about two seconds. You see a view from his perspective looking out the window as she scampers off. And to me, she looks clearly blonde, which is a bit of misdirection, I think. But uh, yeah, that's all I, I'll see for now. I didn't check, but. I'm going to claim it's not even the same actress as who, tur- who she turns out to be later. So I agree yeah, with you. could be. I think they were pulling a fast one here. <laughs> Tony says, she saw, she was here all the time. Who is she? And we switch to the credit sequence. And we learn about how every government has its secret service branch, the CIA, MI6, et cetera. But when they can't get the job done, they call John Drake. <laughs> mm-hmm. Our hero. I was in Rome when I was summoned by the frightened executive of the bank. He was in no way distressed by the death of his president. Only unbalanced accounts could distress Mr. Finch. The man had ink in his veins. I'm wondering, does it ever state whether he's supposed to be British or American? Because his accent sounds like what's called a mid-Atlantic accent, which is, you know, (laughs) eastern seaboard, Mm -hmm. which ranges from Thurston Howell to Catherine Hepburn. I've even read that Mark Hamill's voice he uses for the Joker is supposed to be a (laughs) mid-Atlantic accent, which is basically an American accent trying to be classy. And that's what this sounds like for me. Very good question. There's a lot behind this. So first of all, They clearly don't want to kind of specify who he works for or what even country. You'll notice the credit sequence shows the U.S. Capitol building in the background. Mm -hmm. But one of the reasons they chose McGowan for this role is that he is an Irish guy who grew up in America and then went to Britain. And so one of the reasons it's hard to pin his accent down is because of that background. And they liked that. They liked the fact that you couldn't really tell where he was from. (laughs) Ah, interesting. So that was a key part of the whole thing. Yep. Ah. So Drake says to the bank manager, you surely didn't bring me here for a murder. Now, one thing we said, you know, he's like this super secret spy guy. I don't know how a bank manager (laughs) is supposed to know about him (laughs) and have his phone number, apparently. (laughs) He probably got a referral from some other government guy. (laughs) Yeah, probably well-placed. So Drake says, you surely didn't bring me here for a murder. 
And the bank guy says, oh, there's something much bigger involved. <laughs> and Drake <laughs> says, what's bigger than a murder? Well, turns out that Delroy, the guy who was killed, was a bank official who was involved in a large amount of gold being held in Rome as part of a NATO contribution, $5 million. And that gold is now missing. So obviously $5 million of gold is much more important than a murder. <laughs> yeah, especially in 1960s dollars. That's true. Yeah, I didn't look up what it would be now. Probably, if I remember right, from Perion Sargent, it was something like nine times as much, whatever the early 60s value is, it's roughly that <laughs> times nine. So roughly $45 million, a ballpark figure. Yep. And Drake immediately begins peppering the bank manager with some very specific questions. Says a respectable banker for 25 years and he suddenly embezzles 5 million and he never even had a chance to spend it. So that amount of gold must have been over a ton. How did he get it out? The bank manager says, well, he was the president of the bank. It's our guess. He took it over a period of time. I'm not quite sure what's going on here. We're right at the very beginning of all this, but Drake immediately seems to have some kind of suspicion. He says over a period of time. Thank you. To me, it seemed like when he smiles, when he says it over a period of time, and to me, it seemed he was saying, well, thanks, Captain Obvious, <laughs> but it could have another meaning too. I don't know. Yeah. Not clear to me, but it is clear that this is a very smart guy who immediately puts together the pieces and zeroes in on what he thinks is important. Yeah. They go into the bedroom. Yeah. <laughs> So a, a little bit of context about Patrick McGowan that will feed into some of our prisoner discussions. Patrick McGowan was a very devout Catholic. Ah. This really impacted his career and the shows that he did in some interesting ways, especially his relationships with women. Hmm. He had a lot of challenges being around women if they weren't his wife. Mm -hmm. And he also didn't really like women who'd been divorced. He considered them to be whores, which caused some mm. problems with some of the actresses he worked with. Oh, boy. Yeah. So the way that that impacted some things in kind of a positive way is that he never, with any of his characters, had these salacious relationships with women. In fact, I believe, I, I might be wrong, but I believe he was offered to play Bond at some point. And he turned it down because he was not going to be someone who was sleeping around with women. Huh. So with that background, <laughs> they go into the bedroom. Drake has been told that the victim's wife does not live here. She lives somewhere else. But there's a woman's robe on the bed. <laughs> yeah. And the bank manager says, This is Rome, Mr. Drake, not New England. Well, that happens in New England, too, you know, Mr. Finch. It occurred to me here, and this may be a stretch, but it, the possibility occurred to me, if you think of New England and you think of adultery, the thing that comes to mind for me is the Scarlet Letter. And as we'll find out, there's a lady in this named Scarlatti. So mm -hmm. uh, I'm wondering if that is a little joke on the writer's part. Could be, don't know, yep. So using his intuition, we assume, Drake grabs a couple of pieces of clothing from a closet rack. And he notes that they were made by Scarlatti. So this is his first clue. Yeah. And next thing we know, he is at the Scarlatti suits business and he walks in to talk to Scarlatti. Turns out she's a woman. He tells her this is kind of personal. So they go to a back room where there are no assistants and he wants to know who these clothes were made for. 
Now, when he picked them up, I actually thought it was like a men's suit, but it yeah. turns out they're all women's clothes. Yeah, to me, it looked like one was a dress and one was a suit, mm. but mm. but they're all all women's clothes apparently. And Drake says they all belong to the same woman. And Scarlatti recalls the dress, but she can't remember this woman. With some prompting, eventually she says, ah, yes, Senorita Luco. And she gives Drake an address for this woman. Drake takes a cab to the location. Turns out it's a building that's still under construction. He has a cute line here. He says to the taxi driver, well, we can't wait for it to be finished, can we? (laughs) Yeah, so he wants to be taken back. Now he goes to Mrs. Delroy, the wife of the murdered man. And this is kind of a bizarre scene. He walks in, and I think in older days, it was much more common, right? Which is one of the main rooms is the bedroom, and she's in bed, mm-hmm. and she invites him in. Now, these days, it's like nobody goes into your bedroom. <laughs> you don't mm-hmm. invite yeah. a stranger into your bedroom. But I think it was a little more common at a certain point. <laughs> but then again, it also seems like she's on the make. Is that the term for when she's, <laughs> she's looking to get hooked up? Well, that's true. Could be. (laughs) She's smoking in bed. Bad, bad idea. You know, please, listeners to this podcast, don't smoke in bed. (laughs) (laughs) She invites him in. And she even invites him to sit on the corner of the bed, which is very (laughs) hospitable of her. Yeah, I'm sure that Patrick McGowan was happy about this. (laughs) This is the kind of thing that I I wouldn't be surprised early on in the series, this being the first one or two episodes they filmed, that he would go along with it. But I suspect Mm -hmm. that later in the series he would have said no, you know, for the reasons that we, we talked about. But she does turn out to be kind of a villain, so maybe he figured that was character development there. (laughs) And Drake lets her know this has to do with her husband's death. And again, bizarre response, not what we would expect. (laughs) She says, It's to do with his death, Mrs. Delroy. And you're expecting to find a grief-stricken widow, hmm? It wouldn't have surprised me. Frank and I haven't meant anything to each other for years. We just uh, kept up a pretense for his sake, mainly. He was a banker. It's a respectable profession. Now he's dead. I'm not glad. I'm not sorry. I'm just completely unmoved. Do you understand? (laughs) She's never met this guy before. Usually you want to at least put on a little bit of a show. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but it sounds like they may have been separated for some time. So (laughs) it might be public knowledge. Mm -hmm. Now, she does claim to be surprised that her husband was stealing gold and planning to leave the country. And uh, another funny part. Drake shows her the dresses from Scarlatti and tells her that her husband was sharing the apartment on the other side of town with a woman. And she's actually impressed. I never knew Frank had that much initiative. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It was kind of, kind of a cute bit there. And then interestingly, when Drake has all the information that he wanted, he turns down the free drink that she offered him, which I think is (laughs) poor form for a secret agent. Yep, yep. And I can't imagine what was going to happen after that. You know, she's in bed (laughs) offering him a drink. (laughs) Who knows? (laughs) So Drake leaves, and as he's leaving, goes to the elevator. The main guy from the murder, Tony, gets out of the elevator, goes to her door, and rings the bell. So that's interesting. And I'm not sure. I think that maybe the elevator doors close before Drake can see Hmm. where Tony goes on the floor. But I wouldn't. I wouldn't be That's surprised probably, to probably see. true. Good point. So we, the viewer, know a little bit more than, than Drake does. Yeah. Yeah. And he's never seen Tony before, so he has no reason to be suspicious of him. 
Yeah, but I, probably he made a note of his face because that seems to be the <laughs> sort of uh, thorough guy Drake might be. Yeah, as, as we will see in this scene. So he goes back to Scarlatti's and meets with her and says, that address you gave me, I went there and it isn't built yet. And she double checks and confirms that it's fake. Drake says, well, she probably gave you a fake name too. And she says, that doesn't surprise me. She always paid by cash. She never had her orders delivered. She often arrived with a man, but he never came into the shop. And this Mm -hmm. amused me because when my girlfriend is doing stuff I'm not interested in, I am also standing outside the door of the shop. (laughs) Yeah. But I haven't murdered anybody yet. (laughs) (laughs) She says, look, Mr. Drake, I wouldn't bother to find this girl. I don't think she was very nice. I didn't trust her. I think she was hard. Everything about her was false. So trying to throw him off the trail a bit here. Yeah, it seemed like trying a little bit too hard for me. Like, <laughs> I wouldn't bother <laughs> to find her. Just go on about your business. <laughs> now with Drake at a villa that he's in, overlooking the village, he's having breakfast at a restaurant. He shows the waiter a picture of Delroy, the guy who was murdered. And the waiter says, oh, yes, he knows him. He always came in with the same woman. And the waiter goes on and on about her. We are so fond of her. She's so kind. She makes us laugh. He just loves this woman who would come in with Delroy. And Drake says she was blonde, of course. And the waiter says, oh, of course not. She's dark. She's a true Roman. (laughs) And at this point, I should have started to put things together because we've only seen one dark-haired woman in the episode (laughs) so far. But, oh, well, it took me a while. And I don't know, maybe you can tell me. I'm not sure where Drake came up with the blonde thing. Did someone describe her as? Well, Scarlatti had described her as blonde. Ah, right. Right. Okay. Which is important then. Okay. Yeah. And I got to tell you, and we'll talk more about it later. I've watched this episode three or four times now. Every time I watch it, I pick up things that I didn't get before. There's oh, just yeah. so much going on. Yeah. On the second viewing, it was worth doing for me because I don't know that I picked up a lot of new things, but I appreciated the performances more, I warmed up to Drake a little more mm-hmm. than on the first viewing. And I could start to see how I could watch this on a regular basis. Yeah. I was going to mention this at the end, but I'll say now when I watched this, I don't know, a year or two ago, cause I, I bought the DVDs of the whole series and I watched it. It didn't do a lot for me. I didn't really think about it. I wasn't planning to watch more and in preparing for the show and watching a couple more times. Now I'm like, oh, maybe I will watch more of these. So same, <laughs> same response. Yeah. Yeah. So nearby, there's a sketch artist, a guy who part of his job is going around this restaurant and sketching people and getting paid for it. I'm not going to say he's light in the loafers. I'm just going to say, you know, who knows? (laughs) He comes by and he immediately wants to draw Drake. He says, you have a fine head, (laughs) senor. Although, of course, if he's open to get a few coins off him, he's got to butter him up a little bit. Yep, that's true. (laughs) And he starts sketching him, lets him know that if he wants to pay extra, he'll do it in color. (laughs) Drake kind of shuts him down and says, look, I don't care about being drawn, but how often are you here? And the artist says he's here two or three times a week. So Drake shows him a picture of Delroy and asks him if he recognizes him. And he says, yes, he comes here very often with a young lady with exquisite features who is very charming. So once again, everybody loves this woman. Mm. Drake says, well, did you sketch her? And the artist says, better than that, she sketched me. And as it happens, apparently he just carries this thing around all the time. He has the sketch that she made of him, <laughs> shows it to Drake. And Drake notes that it is signed in the corner with a big G and a little star. 
we don't know the significance of this right now, but he seems very intrigued by that. And yeah. he buys the sketch from the artist. He does have to bend the artist's arm a little bit to get him to part yeah. with it. He seems, as we mentioned, he seems fond of the lady, which is probably mm -hmm. why he's still carrying the picture around with him. Yeah, and he has a picture of him and, and everything. So, yeah, I'm sure this is not just a case of him trying to drive up the price, which he does. <laughs> yeah. But also actually being fond of the picture, yeah. But conveniently for him, that allows him to drive up the price. <laughs> well, sure. <laughs> but Drake pays it. And next, we're at Delroy's house where he was murdered. Drake goes with the police official and shows him a picture that is a sketch of an island. And in the corner is that same G. So clearly, when he was casing the place, when he first was investigating the murder, he noticed this picture and he noticed this little detail. So that's a pretty little detail to notice. Clearly this guy's on top of things. Oh yeah. The little G with the star signature. Mm. Although I'm not certain it's an Island. It may just be a stretch of coastline, but either that's way, true. it's a yeah. view, view over the water, looking at the buildings. Yep. And Drake immediately assumes there's something important about this picture. He takes it off the wall. He turns it over and removes it from the frame. And then he takes it to Mrs. Delroy, and when he walks in, Tony, the murderer guy, <laughs> is there. Of course, he doesn't know he's the murderer yet. And Tony pours a drink for him, and I, I kind of an amusing little thing here. Tony says, neat, and Mrs. Delroy says, I'll get you that drink. Neat. Whoa, that could be too strong for Mr. Drake. <laughs> so I don't know why she's like, digging on him right now well she's remember he last time she made that deal with him to stay for a drink and then he said you made that deal and they left <laughs> without taking the drink so. that's true that's true he clearly knows what he's doing he takes the picture of the coastline and puts it on the couch and he says oh it's just a little picture i bought myself do you like it and miss delroy doesn't know what he's talking about like, whatever but when tony sees the painting he kind of freaks out. Mm -hmm. Definitely, he doesn't have a poker face there. <laughs> yep. And Drake immediately picks up on this and calls him on it. And Tony says, oh, I knew a picture like this that Delroy kept in his study. That's why I was looking at it. Mrs. Delroy says, well, I never liked that painting. I wouldn't allow him to keep it in the apartment. <laughs> this There's kind of a funny thing here because we get this shot of Drake and he's staring at her with this kind of crazed look on his face. And he says, I'm sorry you feel like that about it. I like it. <laughs> it was just a little weird because he's been so under control, but all of a sudden he has this different demeanor to him. You know, there are various points throughout this episode where he really seems to be having fun with people, just making little gags and smiling. It seems like he enjoys his work. <laughs> so he leaves and Mrs. Delroy says to Tony, what was that all about? That picture was never in Frank's study. And Tony says he got it from Frank's other apartment. That's where I saw it. It all adds up. He's looking for Frank's girlfriend. And then we get a dramatic <laughs> music cue. It all adds up. He's looking for Frank's girlfriend. <laughs> <laughs> and now Drake is back at Scarlatti's once again. And it's nighttime and Scarlatti and her assistant are leaving we see in the background that Mrs. Delroy and Tony have followed him. They have a car in the background. Drake talks Scarlatti into going back in because he needs some advice from her. And then he challenges her, says, you said this woman was blonde. Everyone else says she's dark haired. 
Everyone who met her seemed to love her. You said well, she's a really bad person. And Scarlatti says, you should tread warily, Mr. Drake. <laughs> Drake says, don't you think you're a bit prejudiced against her, Miss Scarlatti? And Scarlatti says, don't you think perhaps you're falling in love with her, Mr. Drake? And Drake uh -huh. says, all things are possible. And this is another one of those scenes, if I remember right, where he has that little mischievous smile, you know, where he's, he's just having fun with being a secret agent. <laughs> well, and related to that, it wasn't until my third or fourth watching of this that I picked up even what was going on here. I was just totally clueless. Because Scarlatti is the girlfriend. Right. So when she says, don't you think you're falling in love with her? And he says, all things are possible. The conversation they're having is that he is falling in love with Scarlatti. Yeah. <laughs> and I totally didn't pick up on that. So it's pretty clever. Yeah. The first watching, I didn't catch that either because I hadn't figured out yet that she was the painter. You wouldn't have any way to know. And it brings up an interesting point for me because this was not a time when people could record something and watch it later or rewatch it. So right. how you could watch this episode and pick up everything, uh, you know, it, it mystifies me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You'd have to be completely focused on it. Well, I was going to say at the end, but I'll bring up now. I mean, you said once that you like shows where if you go to the bathroom for two minutes, you miss three things in the show. <laughs> this seems like yeah. the definition of that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I, I do like it. I'd probably be interested to see more of the series actually. So now Drake is with what appears to be a military person. Not clear to me who he is. Yeah, I'm not sure if he's military or police, but whoever he is, he's got a big book of pictures of shorelines. Which is yeah. something I wasn't acquainted and with. So they're examining this drawing of the island, and Drake wants to find where this island or shoreline is. And they go through a bunch of nautical drawings. And Drake is very specific. This one, the shoreline's not high enough. It can't be this etc. So then we are looking at the painting and there's a clever thing here because they transition then to a live shot of what the painting is showing. Mm. So now we're actually seeing the coastline that was drawn. Drake is driving through this village and he looks up at the tower that's in the drawing. And this is another one of those things where I did not pick it up for a couple times. What he's doing is he's trying to figure out where was the person who drew this at? He's trying to triangulate where the artist was. Yeah, trying to figure out what the viewpoint was for painting it. Mm -hmm. And there's an interesting little thing here that's it's just kind of a throwaway bit, but it struck me as interesting because I didn't quite understand what it was supposed to be. He stops his car in the street momentarily to get his bearings. One of the locals is standing nearby and he's chewing something that at first it looks like his tongue is lolling out of his mouth, but it's actually like a big leaf or something. I'm not mm -hmm. sure what, what that's supposed to be, but soon enough, Drake pulls away and the Italian guy keeps chewing his leaf and just sort of watches him go. But I'm not sure if that's supposed to be some local custom or what, but it was just interesting. Little detail. Right, they well, it could be nicotine or something. And there's a lot of little yeah. details here, like, well, that conversation is occurring. An old woman comes out and throws a bucket of water onto the road. There's just mm -hmm. a lot of kind of the life of this village that's presented in a very short period of time. Yeah. So based on his triangulation of where the artist must have been, he finds a villa that seems to be the right location. And there's an old woman here, and this is kind of amusing. She's uh, she, the actress who did this really brought her a game. Mm -hmm. 
she's an old woman who's like a servant to whoever owns the house. And Drake chats her up. He says, you know, I feel like I've been here before. And the old woman, it's a little odd to me, but she says, I've lived here my whole life and I don't recognize you. So <laughs> I don't know why she would assume that every single person <laughs> who'd ever been here, she would be aware of. <laughs> but then he says, oh, you know what? I saw this in a drawing. And the old woman says, well, that's possible. My mistress has painted this many times. Then Drake says, the initial on the painting I saw was G. And the woman says, yes, that's our Gina. So again, Drake knows how to zero in on exactly what he needs to yeah. connect things together. Drake asks if he can stay and meet this Gina. And the old woman says, but of course. And she seats him in the courtyard. Once she leaves, he surreptitiously enters the house. And then a car screeches up. And a mysterious woman cloaked in darkness enters. <laughs> and guess who it is? It's Scarlatti. <laughs> and Drake says, good afternoon, Gina Scarlatti. <laughs> this was a nice, quiet place to hide it, wasn't it, Gina? Come on now, the gold, I want it. Now, when I saw this, I thought she was pretending when she says she has no idea what he's talking about. Yeah, and I'm I'm not so sure. I can't recall any evidence one way or the other, although she does take time to think about the crate and mention it to him, which I think would indicate that she didn't know that it was anything but a crate of books. Yeah, I think you're right. I thought she was pretending up front, and I think it's clear that she doesn't know that Delroy was stealing gold, which leads the question of was he going to stay with her or was he going to abandon her when he took off with his gold, right? We, mm. we don't have any way to know, but since he didn't tell yeah. her. And Scarlatti says, you may have a problem, Mr. Drake, but so have I. I was going to marry Frank Delroy, but now he's dead. <laughs> and that's another question that I don't think we ever get mm. an answer to, is whether or not she knew that he was married. You know, did he disclose that? I think combining the fact that she didn't seem to know he was married, or maybe Delroy said he'd get divorced, and that he had not told her about the gold, I do not think he was planning to act honorably. <laughs> so mm, but that's just be. my guess. Yeah. Definitely could be. Scarlatti tells Drake that she was in the next room when Delroy was killed. She saw the killers. They know she can identify them. So now she has to disappear completely, which is why she came to this villa. Drake won't give up on the gold. <laughs> there <laughs> remains the problem of the gold. It must be here. It's the logical place. As you mentioned, Scarlatti says, well, there is this chest of books that's rather heavy, <laughs> but I will tell you, you do not need gold bars for a box of books to be heavy. <laughs> I have yeah. had to move with boxes of books. They're really heavy. <laughs> oh, yeah. I've been there. But nonetheless, he pries open the crate, and there are a few books on top, but, you know, move them aside, and there are the gold bars. Yeah. But of course, as soon as he discovers this, another car screeches up. <laughs> <laughs> they look out the window and Tony and Delroy's wife get out of the car and Scarlatti says, that's the man who killed Frank. So they come in, Drake confronts them. They want to know where the gold is. He won't tell them. <laughs> I love this. So now who comes in is Vigo. And this guy is classic Italian muscle. You know, he's, he's holding a gun. Oh, yeah. <laughs> he's, he's big. <laughs> yeah. Big, muscly, burly thug, the fedora and the gun and all that nerds. But he also has a polka dot bow tie. <laughs> Some people might not pull it off, but for him, he's got the force of personality to pull yep. it off. He smacks Drake with the gun. Drake seems to be cowed and he tells him the gold is in the other room in the crate. So they all rush into the room <laughs> and he waits 
And then he slams the door, which is a big, heavy wooden door. It's pretty well choreographed because you've got the three bad guys and they're all filing into the room. The woman and then Vigo go in first. So he waits for the last guy, then slams the door, which knocks the last guy out of the way and captures Vigo's hand in the door at the same time. So it's kind of a neat little move there. <laughs> yep. And since the gun is now out of the picture, they get to have a fist fight, which is what all these shows like to do, right? <laughs> One of the things I noticed is this is the same template as Star Trek or some of the Doctor Who things we've seen where, oh, now suddenly we switch to a scene where two guys are in a fight. But, well, in Star Trek and Doctor Who, a lot of times it's kind of cheesy and overly done and everything. This is really tight and really well executed. There are points where they have a stunt double, but if you were not really, really paying attention, you would not see that. It's really, really well done. Yeah, and the punches, they really look like punches i mean it's not obvious all the time that they're pulling their punches <laughs> looks like they're really really wailing mm -hmm. on each other that's yep. well done and of course ultimately drake dispenses with vigo even though vigo is about twice his size <laughs> and then tony points a gun at him and it's about to shoot him yeah and this this mm -hmm. is i just wanted to mention this it's kind of a good little effect because it's just all of a sudden, Drake looks like he has the upper hand, and then all of a sudden, I don't remember if he's pulled to the floor or he stumbles or something, but suddenly his face is like two inches from the barrel of the gun. And <laughs> you see his eyes get wide like, uh-oh. <laughs> and, you know, in classic spy and mystery movie tropes, a shot rings out, but guess what? <laughs> it wasn't Drake who got shot. It was Tony. <laughs> yeah. It turns out Scarlatti shot him. Now, I don't know where she got a gun. I guess she maybe was just carrying one on her. Yeah, yeah I was wondering that, too. And <laughs> she's very upset, and she says to Drake, he was going to kill you. And Drake assures her she had to do it, but Tony is going to live. And from now on, so will you. And the episode is over. Apparently, there's no smoochy smoochy at this point. I know, but it is kind of the end of a romance. I mean, there really was a romance between them. I didn't pick up on that the first couple times, but, but it really was there. Yeah, they seem to be hitting it off all right. So now, presumably, well, I guess they'll take the gold. Too. She doesn't have all the gold to go on with, but at least she yeah. doesn't have people chasing after her. Yeah. One of the things I appreciate about this is... I do not like TV shows or movies that don't end when they end. <laughs> <laughs> and this thing just ends, right? Tony gets killed, a couple seconds of dialogue between Drake and Scarlatti, and we're done. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> no beating around the bush. Yeah, Drake doesn't stand around and say, well, I realized this picture was this. And <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. I enjoyed it. I thought it was pretty neat. Like you had mentioned, it doesn't waste a lot of time on filler. It's all content, pretty much. And, yeah, you uh, could have done two or three Doctor Who episodes with this amount of plot. <laughs> oh, yeah. 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 <laughs> Add a little running in corridors. <laughs> <laughs> yep. I would definitely watch other episodes of it. Pretty good. And I also thought the production values were good. Mm -hmm. Excellently filmed, lighting, music. I mean, just everything was there. And coming off of Doctor Who, where... That varies a lot. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it yeah. doesn't. It doesn't have nearly that claustrophobic feel that a lot of the Doctor Who right. episodes have. And I think their complaint would be: Look, here's like a half hour show, and they're getting the same budget we are to make uh -huh. the sets, right? And we have yeah. to make up everything as like some science fiction thing or whatever. 
Right. So that was one of their challenges compared to a show like this. But yeah, it was very well done. So with McGowan, you know, you're kind of new to this guy. What did you think of his portrayal? I liked it. I think I mentioned earlier that on the first viewing, I was, I was kind of lukewarm. You know, I thought he was entertaining enough, but didn't really strike a chord with me. But then I watched a second time and the first time I watched something for me, a lot of the time, I'm just trying to get my head around it. You know, I'm just trying to figure out how the story is going. And so there are a lot of nuances I won't pick up on at all on, on a single viewing. The second viewing, a lot of the things that lent some charm and personality to his character were a lot easier for me to pick up on. And I started appreciating it more. And that's part of what leads me to think that I would be happy watching more episodes of this. There's a certain kind of actor who's clearly smart and they're Mm -hmm. able to communicate that. I mean, I'm going to be, I've been around a lot of actors. I've been a part of the theater world and there are a lot of great smart actors, but a lot of actors are really not smart. They're, they're great Uh people. They care a lot about a lot of things, but they're not necessarily smart. (laughs) And when you see a really smart actor, they're able to communicate that in a way that no one else can. And honestly, mm-hmm. I think that's one of the things that just made him a star and made him successful. So there just weren't many people who could come off like that. Uh. So I think we already have a sense of it, but in terms of your final determination, is this worth watching for a modern audience? What do you come down on? Yeah. If we're going by the yardstick, do you drag somebody down onto <laughs> the couch and force them to watch it? I'd say probably not. Not worth forcing someone to watch. <laughs> Just as an interesting beginning to a promising series, I'd say, yeah, I'd like it. I'd say check it out if that uh, <laughs> secret agent adventure type stuff is <laughs> up your alley. Now, I'm I'm skeptical. You mentioned that later on in the series it expands to an hour, and that makes me wonder, will things get more padded at right. that point, or right. will they just put more content in? It's hard to say what the future might hold, but this episode, I'd say definitely worth watching, but worth forcing someone to watch. I don't know. <laughs> well, I'm going to say officially the worth watching podcast is against forcing people against their <laughs> consent to watch something. <laughs> yeah. So now the key question we started with, did you spot the connection between this episode and the prisoner? Well, I believe that. The actor, McGowan, has something to do with both of them. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> <laughs> Aside from that, I, I don't know. <laughs> okay, well, that shoreline slash island is the location of the prisoner. Uh, oh. And one of the reasons when I was kind of figuring out, because originally I thought maybe we'd watch the last episode of Danger Man, that that would be a natural transition into the prisoner. Hmm. But then when I watched this and realized, oh, it's that location. And then when I did some research, I discovered that Patrick McGowan did not know about this location until he did this episode. Huh. And they actually used it two or three more times in Danger Man. But the fact that this is the very first Danger Man episode, it's a place called Port Miron. It's in Wales. It's a hmm. very distinctive location. We'll get a much better sense of it with the prisoner. Yeah, it's a neat little hmm. village. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. I would like to go there sometime. I have both read that it's impossible because after the prisoner, this location got so popular that it's impossible to go there. But I've also had people have actually gone there and said they had no problem and it wasn't hmm. too crowded. 
Now, every year there is a prisoner convention that occurs there. <laughs> and oh, even wow. though I'm a big fan of the prisoner, I think that's the one time I would not go to that location because oh, it's yeah. a relatively small place. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Probably couldn't hurt to try and find out what the tourist season is and you go right at the beginning or end of it. Yep. Yep. Anything else about this before we talk about what's coming up next? No, I think, uh, I think that covers it. Good first episode. What is it, 25 minutes? Something like that. Yeah, it's, it's short. Yeah. Uh, very direct and to the point and entertaining. I liked it. Okay, nice. So, you know, we talked about how we have our own unique order for the episodes in The Prisoner. But no surprise, we're going to start next time with the very first episode, Arrival. So, join us next week. He was going to kill you. Thank you. Now you had to do it. He's going to live. From now on. So are you. Thank <laughs> you.